And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm now joined by JJ Bull the Bullard. Hi. And uh, John McKenzie. There he is, flapping his gills. Okay, uh, we'll be talking today about various different things. The story in uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, we're going to talk to Adam Crafton about that shortly. The situation with Mr. De Jong, forgotten his first name, Frankie, Frankie De Jong, because uh, that's sort of dragging on now, so we'll uh, discuss that in a little bit. The Euros, of course, have been ongoing, so we will revisit those before the, uh, the knockout stages start. Robert Lewandowski has joined Barcelona, and Delict has joined Bayern Munich. So we'll be discussing both of those. Also, move completed by Jed Spence to Tottenham. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has another injury, so we're going to discuss that. I don't think it's a bad one, but uh, we will talk about his injury-prone career so far. Wayne Rooney, back in America. Yes. And uh, Kaladu Koulibaly. There's quite a lot on today, isn't there? Newcastle. And also uh, Hugo Ekatike moving to PSG. Tax investigations. Hmm bottom of the bill there but very interesting anyway if you like things at the bottom of the bill at the bottom of the bill that are very interesting tell you what tell you what tell you what. i think that's a bad example actually because i don't think the athletic have covered yet the, uh, the tax investigations but there are plans in the works i believe to uh, to cover this story but i will say that the athletic of course covers all top bill stories but also bottom billing stories stories that your ordinary people just aren't interested in and guess what ordinary people are sometimes the worst people yeah sometimes a terrible barometer of what's actually interesting if you're a special and unique person you think you're different and better than everyone else <laughs> or worse <laughs> or both you should get The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, and let it, as a, its high-quality product, reflect your values. The Athletic. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, now, we'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace as we begin of audio-only Adam Crafton. We will be back, uh, video viewers, we will be back on camera in a, a few short minutes' time. But uh, this story is so important, it, we can only have it on audio. Uh, and technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm joined by uh, Adam Crafton now. Thanks for, for joining us, Adam. You wrote a piece uh, which was released this morning on The Athletic and an interview with the Shakhtar Donetsk CEO as well. Will you just tell us uh, quickly about the, the situation there? Because it's quite bizarre, isn't it? It is. And I suppose that the starting point for all of this is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And as a result of that, Ukrainian football was you know, immediately suspended on account of bombs falling and it not being a safe environment to play and to work. Now, Ukrainian football is attempting to return for the new season. It, it, the new season will start, I believe, in August. 
the majority of games will be played in Ukraine. Now, the, while the league will return and the clubs will play, there's a lot of foreign players in Ukraine or registered to Ukrainian clubs who don't feel that they should have to return to a war zone um, to, yeah. to, to play football, uh, not unreasonably. And I don't think anyone involved in this story believes that to be unreasonable. Now, because of the pressure that's been coming from, I suppose, those, those organisations that are almost like de facto football trade unions, so I suppose those organisations like FIFPRO, for example, and agents of players have been arguing that basically players should be able to suspend their contracts with Ukrainian clubs, the foreign players. Obviously, the Ukrainian players have to remain in Ukraine anyway because it's the law of the country at the moment. Men, I think, over the age of 18 have to, have to remain in the country and be part of the war effort. So what's happened is FIFA on June the 22nd came up with a landmark ruling, sorry, June the 21st, came up with a landmark ruling which said that foreign players and coaches registered to clubs in Ukraine are able to essentially unilaterally suspend their contracts until June the 30th next year, Mm -hmm. which in effect means they can and, and this would come into effect, remember, as I said, this was announced on June the 21st, this was going to come into effect June the 30th this year, which effectively gave a club like Shakhtar Donetsk with 14 overseas players nine days to sell these players yeah. um, and, and secure player sales, while every club that was interested also knew that from the 30th of June they could just take the player for free mm-hmm. on, a, on a free loan. And it's further complicated by, so say, for example... There's an Israeli winger slash forward, Manor Solomon, who Shakhtar Donetsk were negotiating with Fulham to sell the player. Seven and a half million pound deal was agreed. This ruling came out, and according to the Shakhtar CEO, that very set, basically, as soon as the ruling came out, they got an email from Fulham saying they're withdrawing from the negotiations because they can just take the player on a year-long loan for free and obviously not have to pay Shakhtar anything. The situation becomes even more complicated for Shakhtar because Manuel Solomon only has 18 months left on his contract at Shakhtar. So when he returns to Shakhtar in a year's time, albeit unlikely that he returns, he would only have six months left on his deal, mm-hmm. at which point he can talk to anyone and sign a pre-contract agreement and Shakhtar still get no money. And this situation has kind of been mirrored by the Brazilian forward Tete, 22-year-old forward, if you believe transfermarkt.com, don't know what the TIFO view on that is, um, <laughs> he's worth around 20 million euros. They were negotiating with Leon before this ruling came out, and now he's likely to join Leon in the same way. So Shakhtar are basically arguing that as a result of this ruling, they've lost up to 50 million euros worth of funding through player sales. And as a result, they've, they've appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, but they're also seeking these damages. So you have this situation where a club that, you know, one of those pretty big clubs that we see in the Champions League every season is taking legal action against the football world governing body for an eight-figure sum of damages. Yeah. The other consequence of this is that um, Shakhtar Donetsk, with the way that football clubs pay for players they've signed, so say Shakhtar Donetsk last summer signed a player from Italy, I don't even know if that's true, but as an example, if they signed a player from there, they will be paying in instalments, and that could be over three years, four years, even five years. And Shakhtar is saying that as a result of, you know, both the war 
and all other forms of revenue being decimated, whether that's commercial income, match day income, they were saying, you know, the way we were going to be paying for these installments was through player trading. But we now can't do anything with that either. So they've had to send letters out to clubs across Europe to say, look, we're simply unable at this moment to pay you these installments. Yeah. So there's a consequence not only for Ukrainian clubs, but also the clubs that Ukrainian clubs owe debts to as well. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? You can look at it from Shakhtar's perspective. And I mean, when I do, I think I totally get it, right? right? These players are leaving for free. It seems really unreasonable. And also, you know, we're in a situation where I think there have been lots of overtures throughout the world of football about how the world of football comes together at a time like this. And from Shakhtar's perspective, that is clearly not the case. The, the reverse of that is is what you said at the beginning, that obviously uh, foreign players should be allowed to leave, should should not be forced to stay uh, stay under contract in the situation uh, well, the, as a result of the, the invasion of Ukraine by, by Russia, um, what would have been a satisfactory outcome? Because it's hard to it's hard to find one, isn't it? Yeah. So, look, I mean, one of the things I'd say is, you know, Shakhtar aren't going into this saying, you know, we should have the right to keep our players as long as they want to force them to come back to Ukraine. Right? That's not what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, within days of the war breaking out, they got all of their foreign players out of the country enabled them to go and play for different clubs for the rest of the season. Players haven't been out of pocket. You know, they would say, you know, from a security point of view, they've done as much as possible in the, in the circumstances. What they're saying is we, we just want a fair chance to sell these players at a reasonable market value. You're, the market value would already have shrunk as a result of, mm-hmm. you know, these players don't want to go back to Ukraine. Ukraine. The Ukrainian clubs need to sell to raise money. So you could... You, you're already in a sort of a slightly reduced market for sales anyway. Where it became impossible is that FIFA announced this ruling on the 21st of June mm. and almost a week later, it, it was done. Do you um, think, though, if they'd announced it for a month later or two months later, that, that clubs who wanted to buy those players would have just waited? Well, so what Shakhtar argue is they say FIFA should have said that they would be making a decision... Yeah. At the start of August, at which so at which point you at least have a window in which clubs across Europe are a little less, I suppose, certain about what the outcome is going to be. Sure. And that and therefore, if they want a player, particularly if they want to embed a player for pre-season and things like that, then they have to go and pay Shakhtar for it. I think Shakhtar would have been comfortable with that as a kind of compromise, mm. and that still would have left them well below market value. But I th- I do think it's become you know. It's come as a real surprise, not only to Ukrainian clubs, but also those clubs across Europe. Like, (laughs) Lyon genuinely thought they were going to have to pay. They thought that FIFA would, I suppose, take the side of Ukrainian clubs in this situation because of, I suppose, the tone of global debate at the moment. Mm. Equally, there is, as you say, a very strong employment practice, employment law argument around, you know, you can't bind players to these contracts and just to protect the economic security of, of institutions. Mm-hmm. There's something about, you know, the rights of the individual there that's, that's quite an interesting, I think it's quite an interesting debate. But I, I do understand it from Shakhtar's perspective where they're saying we were just given no chance here, mm. essentially, yeah. to, to, to protect ourselves. Now, the other argument is Shakhtar are owned by the man who is widely billed as the richest person in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I think it's Rinat Akhmetov, yes. um, who is worth billions we have a TIFO video on him, I believe. Oh, interesting. Mm. Interesting. And he could, in theory, 
offset these losses because he's he's super rich. Yeah. He's put you know a huge amount of money into the humanitarian effort in U- in Ukraine as well. I think like something like eighty million dollars. Although there was a pretty public dispute last year between him and President Zelensky over sort of anti oligarch measures and all that kind of thing. So mm. there's an interesting backstory there as well. What Shakhtar is saying is yes, we have a really rich owner, but UEFA, when it comes to financial fair play, expects us to run sustainably. <laughs> so we can't just have a cash injection from an owner to offset everything. And when you also bear in mind that, you know, since 2014, when the, the Donbass region was first invaded or first, I suppose, recipient of military interest from, Ru- from Russia, Shaksov had to move home repeatedly. He's had to offset a huge amount of, of issues already, basically, mm. as a result of these wars and invasions. And I think they're basically saying, yeah, look, I mean, he's a rich guy, but we still feel we've been mistreated here. And yeah. I suppose businessmen wouldn't stay very rich in business if they just basically took the view, I'm really rich, therefore I can pay for everything and it's okay. So this is true. They've, so they've gone to Cass and they've said to, they've asked Cass to set aside the ruling, first of all, but they're also requesting these damages, you know, for deals that are already happening. I mean, a lot of, what's quite interesting is, whereas originally this 30th of June announcement was made, there was then a further announcement that no deals could be registered into the FIFA transfer system until mm. August the 1st. So you now have this utterly farcical situation where players such as uh, Manuel Solomon at Fulham is being pictured with Fulham on their pre-season camp yeah. in the stand at games, but it's not being announced and put into the, the transfer system yet, just as a what looks like a kind of a loophole thing. Sure, very bizarre. I mean, when will we find out more, Adam? And do you think that the uh, Shakhtar will get the damages that they're seeking? Well, I think what Shakhtar would probably like is that FIFA come to a settlement that means they can essentially withdraw the the claim at CAS. You know, it, it is a difficult situation anyway for Shakhtar in the sense of. So, for example, you have to pay court fees to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, mm. but international transfers from the National Bank of Ukraine are currently suspended. Yeah. And you need special permission in order to process those payments. So, you know, one of the things it says in these, in the CAS documents, is Shakhtar had to like request 10 days extra just to get these fees sent over. Right. So that. It makes it very, very difficult, you know, to go down this route. I think what they're hoping is that there will be some sort of settlement from FIFA. I think they'd also like to see a far greater level of engagement from senior individuals at FIFA. So, for example, I've seen two letters that were sent to the FIFA president Gianni Infantino uh, on this theme, and both from the Shakhtar CEO, and they claim they've not had a, a personal response to that. They also say that themselves and the Ukrainian Football Association wrote to FIFA's legal department in late May, early June, uh, basically just you know, knowing that some ruling would be round the corner, saying, can we sit down and discuss a way forward? And they say they didn't have you know, a substantive reply to that. All of this was put to FIFA before we published, and FIFA basically just said that you know, they consulted key stakeholders both in Ukraine and globally, such as the European Club Association. But when I asked them which Ukrainian stakeholders they actually spoke to, they've not replied to that. So it's it's a little bit unclear at the moment. And even with the the European Club Association, my understanding 
from sources close to the top of there, it's they're saying, look, I mean, we were we did speak about it, but it was presented to us as pretty much as a fait accompli that this was decided and this is what FIFA were going to do. Yeah. So I think they would like the, the Ukrainian clubs would like to see a greater level of engagement. But as I said at the very start of this conversation, FIFA do have a responsibility to players because not every player will be a player that can get a Premier League move, mm. right? So there might be, I don't know, some Brazilian at Zoya Luhansk, I think that's a club, mm-hmm. um, and they may need a move and that may find it far harder to get a move and that club may be a little bit less amenable about allowing them to move, yeah. right? So whereas you know, Shakhtar is saying, you know, we're really happy for players to move, there's no guarantee that every club behaves in the same way. Yeah. yeah. So... So, so there is, you know, there is a meaningful debate to be had about it. But I think the way that FIFA have handled it from a timing perspective does mean that Shakhtar appear to have a pretty strong case around the damages. Yeah, OK. Well, very complicated situation. Thanks for joining us to explain it, Adam. Well, there we go. Thanks to Adam Crafton for an update on a very interesting and complicated situation there. Uh, and again, you can read Adam's story about that on The Athletic and uh, his exclusive interview with the Shakhtar Donetsk president. I would encourage uh, people to go and do that. Moving on, let's discuss Frankie de Jong. Because as far as I am aware, John, the Frankie de Jong situation has sort of moved on slightly since last we spoke. Manchester United and Barcelona have agreed a fee. I mean, essentially, the club-to-club part of this deal is now complete. It is all about what the player wants or, or what the player is maybe waiting for now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's not necessarily the easiest of situations then to navigate because usually, I guess, when you get to this point, players are happy to to agree terms with the club and, and then join. But Frankie de Jong is in a fairly interesting situation where wages have been backloaded onto his contract and so if he leaves now he's going to lose a lot of money basically and can we also- just make, can we make that more simple as well just to say like obviously Barcelona had a financial uh, have had a, been in a financial crisis for a couple of years they did this with a lot of their players they reduced the salaries of, of lots of their players lots of players were, were happy to do that with some players including De Jong they sort of as you say they backloaded them so they paid him less than was in his contract for a couple of years and then they were going to pay him the same and then they were going to pay him more than is in his contract to even that out so it would be a bit like me asking you to take, a, you know, hypothetically, and the numbers aren't the same. I'm glad you 50%. said hypothetically. <laughs> well, we'll see, John. Just have my uh, wage slashed on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. You're, let's say you were to be paid 50% of your wage this year, but next year you'd be paid 150% of it, right, to make up for it. And you, you say, yes, Joe, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> and I go, thank you, John. But in a year's time, I fire you. <laughs> and actually, you, you turn around and you say, well, hold on. Where's my fucking money? Is what I would say, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm, that's what isn't the presumably that's what Frankie De Jong is saying. Yeah. Where's my so. fucking money? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's that's what he's doing. And if, uh, he's do they not all admit like they have to give him it? Is that not how it works? Well, even if he goes, you would, you would suggest that this is the case, but I suspect that mm. they've signed legal waivers on this stuff, and they would come back and say you agreed to this so yeah so do you remember that it? scene in Jurassic Park uh, I forget the actor's name the fantastic actor who's the guy who like is trying to steal the dino DNA and take it out of the park and he's the one that like he's he locks his computer down and he goes ah, 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 Dennis Nedry didn't say the magic word yeah it's a bit like that isn't it yeah who is in Seinfeld yeah that yeah. guy yeah yeah well anyway what's his name in Seinfeld I've forgotten what his name is in Seinfeld don't know that's really annoying sure 
Hello, I think we should Jerry. wait though to, for you to remember yeah. it. And that would make remember good this is hello Newman. Yeah, it's Newman. Yeah, Newman. Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we've got no idea whether he's actually going to join. We would assume he would because it's, it's quite rare that you would get this far in a transfer without the transfer actually completing. For, you know, for uh, apart from you know a situation where a medical is failed or whatever else. But are we just waiting for that situation to be or not to be resolved, John? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's partly that. But it's also partly the fact that Frankie de Jong treated Barca as his dream move, right? And so he's mm. at a place where he wants to be and doesn't necessarily want to move on. But obviously Barca in this situation where they have to conform to the rules of the of La Liga's salary cap and so they've got to try and get the costs down pretty much by any means possible. And one of the best ways of doing that is by selling players. Mm. Uh, and so they've just got to try and shift players out if they can. And I think they feel as though they've got... Um, Barca have got Gavi and Pedri um, in their in their squad, so they reckon that they can move De Jong on. It's not ideal, but it's a big chunk of money which will allow them to do other things elsewhere in the market. Are they taking a bit of a gamble then that he will leave? Because I, I mean, they've obviously they've bought a few players this summer, and they we're in the have same. To go. <laughs> yeah, well, we're in the situation now where they can't register some of them until they have the available funds to do so. Are they taking a, a gamble? I think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, no one really knows what the status of the salary limit is because uh, the La Liga at the beginning of every window give them this limit that they have to conform to and this window they've been given a minus 144 million euros limit so they've got to get <laughs> down below that figure right. to start with but obviously as time goes by and you bring players in sell players and make money elsewhere because your revenue is treated as part of that salary cap mm. that that limit will fluctuate but apparently there's this app that they need to use to register players and it won't accept any player being registered if you're not right. at the right position in the cap. So we have a rough idea that they've got a huge amount of wrangling to do with their finances, but sure. we're not exactly sure at any point where they're at. So Yeah. They're okay. also panicking with all these players are trying to buy to be really good now when they already finished like second last season. Mm -hmm. There's not exactly much of a panic. Uh, I think Michael Cox's piece on it, they've been hilariously mismanaged uh, for so long, is why they're in this sort of, big problem they should be if they'd run it well like how Bayern Munich had run their club for the last little while they'd be fine but Bayern's model is to buy players from that they can afford from rivals basically in their <laughs> yeah that they can afford first of all right from their rivals so that the rival just can't be a rival anymore mm. and then it ruins the league Bundesliga is like the least competitive thing you can get they've won it 10 sure. years in a row right whereas um Atletico have managed to make it a three horse race in La Liga or just a Three not horses, it's not horses, it's football sure. teams. It's three two, good two, teams, two and a half horses, three good teams. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Bundesliga is like a, a league that has been financially smart in terms of like competence, right? Because you can't just throw money at, at things because of the, the rules around ownership. Whereas, mm. I guess in La Liga, the point is precisely that if you just have completely untrammeled financial regulation, then you can just almost do what you like. And the thing with Barcelona is that they would have been fine had COVID not happened, I think. I mean, obviously, there's the Messi situation as well, right? Which is that Messi was so good that they wanted to keep him on by any means necessary. And so they ramped up his wages. And because they ramped up his wages, they had to ramp up everyone else's wages. And this was all fine because Barca were making a billion euros of, uh, of, mm. of revenue every year. But as soon as COVID happened, suddenly they're, they're making, what, three, four hundred million less mm. euros. And, and they've got to try and rebuild this, this team without 
Marzia talent and they're, they're in this problem because they have a sort of cash flow issue and I think that's where they're at at the moment they just they have a cash flow issue they would be financially functioning were it not for, for COVID and the fact that everything sort of happened in this perfect storm mm. it's also the way they're owned that they can't just plow money into it there's a I can't remember I saw this graph but like Inter Milan have had heaps of money put into them yeah I think AC as well like, and like Man U Chelsea all the money can come from owners coming into it so they can afford to buy lots yeah. of well players. not with Man United but with those other teams sure yeah. th- no, not then, then but other ones sure. like Inter Milan specifically have loads and loads and loads of debt lots of teams have debt it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing being in mm-hmm. debt but Barca can't then do it but this is them yeah like I say trying to chase up to be relevant now when mm. they could have just gone with it. like they, they, when they sold Neymar mm. it was a release, a release clause that PSG hit I think on him to sell him yeah. and then they immediately went and spent way way over what they needed to for mm. Dembele Usman Dembele and gave him ridiculous wages and football manager is listed like 375k a week or something mm. like that it's, it's insane they spent a billion in like three years on, on nonsense on yeah players Absolute that ended up not working send, yeah. yeah like there's not the only ones they've really got that they've signed that have been alright like Araujo looks like quite a good player uh I, mean, I, I read the other day that uh, they made me even trying to get rid of Memphis Depay now trying to yeah. ship him out <laughs> Spurs or something like that it'd be quite good for them playing sure. as a 10 behind two forwards that'd be good I can't remember which one of the presidents it was that said it but one of them said that Barca are a club with three billions one of them is a billion in expenditure one is a billion in revenue and the other billion is in debt mm. and that's all fine like if you can manage your debt fine there's no issue there the problem was is that obviously Barca's revenue dropped and so suddenly their revenue wasn't matching their outgoings and suddenly that just means that your your debt ramps up I mean then you're we, chasing yeah. yeah we we did a video about a year ago and we were saying like Barca's debt's like 1.2 billion euros mm-hmm. and Sam Wallace in the Telegraph this weekend estimated it's more like 1.5 to 2 billion euros now yeah um, so in that period and this has all been post covid pretty much that their debt has ramped up but they're just shedding money a huge mm. and they really want to redevelop the camp now and another 1.5 billion <laughs> on top yeah. that's why spurs are in so much debt because they've got this the stadium but theirs is manageable debt so it's absolutely fine yeah. that they've got mm. all that money to pay back so a year ago the issue with the debt was that Barca had a huge amount of short-term liability, so they had to they they could feasibly be called in at any point. And so the big thing that Joan Laporta said in his presidential elections was that I can sort out these debts, I can get these short-term debts restructured, and we can we can make them not an immediate issue. So that was the original problem, and now they've got this this other issue with like short-term cash flow and being able to register players because of the La Liga mm. salary cap. It's just a it's just a mess. It's like they're almost staggering from one issue to the next, and it will carry on going. You know that Simpsons episode where uh, Homer ends up taking charge of the um, the rubbish collection. Oh, yeah. You've seen that one? No. Where they're not happy with the rubbish collection, so Homer, I think he gets in charge of it, or he gets elected to be in charge of it, and then spends the entire budget on, like, the first hour or so on these amazing trucks. Sure. And so, obviously, then they have no money left, but they hadn't thought of that because they wanted to be better now, so they did. End up having to hide the, the trash. Sure in a landfill something it sounds like the moral of this story that you're telling us is that we shouldn't criticize barcelona because we couldn't do it better oh no i think it's um i quite like barcelona but the way they manage that is 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 joanne laporta homer simpson yes (laughs) oh no i would say uh, the lad before him would be bartomeo yeah yeah. sure sure josep maria is that his name? Maria Bartomeu? Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Anyway, fine. Back to De Jong. Well, not specifically back to De Jong, but um, it strikes me that whether or not De Jong does happen, is Manchester United's transfer window now okay? I mean, you know, we sort of laughed about it a few weeks ago, as lots of people did. I think uh, at the beginning of the, well, the end of the season, it was very clear that there probably weren't many positions in that first eleven that couldn't be upgraded, or and there weren't that many that really 
didn't need to be need to have a new player added to with uh, Christian Eriksen, with Alessandro Martinez and uh, Malassia as well, potentially De Jong joining. Is that a good window, JJ? Yes. Yeah. The problem they've got, obviously, is, well, if Ronaldo, it looks very much like he's going to stay in and... Ten- he's got nowhere to go. He's got nowhere to go. Um, Apart from the offer, which was, what, £230 million pounds to Arabia. go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could take that. But if he's there, Ten Hag reckons he can... Um, 100% adapt to playing in within the system and do the pressing that he wants of him. I'm sure you, I'd imagine he'll change it a little bit. And you think he had Tadic playing at false nine, right, for Ajax, and he's not particularly mobile individual. So there's there's ways around it. You can always work your way around it. It's not a thing. He is a incredible goal scorer still, so that's not going to be too much of an issue. I think the one thing they've always missed is that holding player, which is what De Jong's going to be when he comes in, being like the six. If he comes in, yeah. If he comes in, if he wants to leave Barcelona or to stay at his dream club and not go to a club that's in the Europa League. Sure. Like, this is the thing. I don't think Man United is quite as amazing a destination as it once was mm-hmm. younger pl- players especially won't care about players like Andy Cole and mm-hmm. Roy Keane they don't care but right back is the one they've not really got mm-hmm. they've got four left backs now Brandon Williams is right footed so he could deputy Wan Basaka just not getting in at all now I don't think anyone would want to buy him for the money they'd want it's, and it's Dallow's sounded right. a lot like uh, Wan Basaka is for sale yeah uh, but I mean I've heard no, I mean, there have been no rumblings about it, have there? Dallow's played quite well at right back in a couple of pre season games. I've he seen. appears to be the first choice now. Yeah, and they also did done this thing in pre season where the uh, the back four becomes like a three where one of the fullbacks stays in, but mm. it's mostly Dallow in, in build up and then it changes in the like second phase and right. attacking phase. Okay. Uh, and Dallow can do that. I think he's a good footballer. He's really highly rated on football manager. Sure. Dallow. Sure. Young lad. Yes. Improvement time ahead. Improvement time ahead. Fine. Do we do we not think there's a? I mean, I, I agree that this sort of nominally okay an okay window, but it feels like there's a lot of risk attached with all of these players in one way or another. So mm-hmm. you've got Christian Eriksen who is is obviously getting on a bit, but also has had health issues. With Martinez, the big question is always like, is he tall enough to be a, a centre back mm-hmm. in the Premier League? And and you can argue till the cows come home about that. Malassia is obviously a, a, another player coming from from the Eredivisie, so questions about translation there sure. De Jong I think yeah is, is going to be fine at this level but obviously the question is is he even going to show up so yeah. I do think there's a little bit of like risk with this window but maybe that's where Manchester United are at now maybe they just have to accept that there's going to be that risk sure. it's also possible turned, that the, the yeah. risk was when they hired uh, Ten Hag because he was only going to buy players like this wasn't he yeah and I, I suspect it's kind of that and it's also kind of the fact that they don't have um, Champions League as well because mm-hmm. I know that for example Barcelona are trying to argue to Frankie De Jong that it's actually not a terrible thing to go to a non-Champions sure. League club, but I'm sure he won't think of it in that, in those terms as well. But that's that's a big consideration for football players, right? Yeah. First time I actively watched Malasia was when he played that preseason game against Liverpool, and the first thing I saw him do was get skinned immediately by a player who just did a shoulder on him and went past. Mm. So he'll have to step it up. Sure, 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 sure. So friendly doesn't. Matter. I thought he looked good though. I thought uh, on the ball, on the ball, was, yeah. yeah, really good. Yeah, so. <laughs> Problem, isn't it? It's yeah. depends. <laughs> It's going to be exciting, though. You can see the clear things of how they're playing already. It's very, very clearly changed to how it was before. Sure. Luke Shaw said they really enjoyed having actual coaching <laughs> yeah, and a clear strategy and being told how to play and where to play and what to do. So maybe that'll help. Right, yeah. Maybe. What a signing Ragnick was. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, there we go. That was Manchester United. Let us have a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Euros. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside 
to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ah, the Euros. You know that song? It's the good life. That's what makes me think of when I do that. No? Nope. It's the Euros. Fine. Group stages are complete in the Euros. Very exciting. Uh, Quarterfinals running from Wednesday to Saturday here, John McKenzie. And uh, Wednesday's game, oh, it's a big one. It's England versus Spain. Now, let me tell you, for the listeners at home and the viewers, England finished the group with nine points, having won all of their games, scoring 14 goals and conceding zero goals. Bing, bang, bong. They're good, aren't they? Yeah, it's a bit, obviously a bit of an outlier group in that Norway completely collapsed against them and Norway yeah. was supposed to be the second best and then lost to Austria team in that group yes so hard to really read what level they're at because I think in the in the first game they played against Austria they were mm. less than convincing maybe you just love draining the fun don't you Sean? you well, just love draining the passion I just think that, that it's it's important for context you know uh-huh. and uh, it's this is going to be a really interesting game sure. off, the, off the back of that because it will give my firstborn child is born I feel overwhelmed <laughs> with joy but hold on a moment <laughs> let me just consider the context yeah there's a chemical in fusion in my brain telling me to love. Yeah, but so imagine if the context was we are mm. living in a post-apocalyptic reality Even and your the child would probably immediately die. That's okay. not good, is it? Well, not if the child immediately dies. Yeah, well, see, this is why context is important, Joe. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> What's the context? <laughs> well, the context was that Norway maybe haven't performed yeah, as, yeah, yeah, as yeah. well as we might have expected, so it's hard to read the level that England are at. Obviously, sure. they're playing really well, and it's good for them to have momentum, and they've scored a lot of goals and not conceded any. Yeah. Um, so this game, I think, will be will be interesting in terms of giving us a sense of where, of where <laughs> England are at. But I noticed that the Spanish players came out and they were saying, we're not scared of this. We're not scared of this if England the team. child immediately <laughs> <dies>. <laughs> Look, you, you made the analogy. I was just working with it. I'm yeah, not to no, blame for this good. one. You made, it, you made it clear. You made it really clear. Okay, fine. Um, Spain are also a good team. Yeah, yeah. They're obviously missing Pateas, which mm-hmm. was a shame because everyone was looking forward to seeing her. She's probably the best player in the world at the moment. Sure. Um, but they're still a, a, a useful side. They are maybe not as good as the Barcelona side that, that everyone talks about at the moment but um, they are still a, a good side and it will be interesting to see how uh, England uh, do against a, a side that are a little bit more system based so yeah, yeah okay. I'm looking forward to this one well Thursday there's Germany uh, versus Austria now Germany also won Group B with full points they scored nine and, and they neither did they concede um, Austria of course we've, we've seen Austria from having watched the England group you would expect Germany to win that one I suppose I think so yeah, yeah. and um, Germany I suppose surprising a lot of people. I don't think many people expected them to be as, as good as they've been. I, maybe that's not true. I, I, Very highly rated on FIFA. I was playing FIFA with my friend Dave over the weekend. We were doing the women's football and Germany's got a good team. Right, okay. Good I think we, we, yeah. we said in our previews that Germany's defence wouldn't be was, was one of their weak spots and, and that has not proven to be the case. Well, they so. haven't conceded a goal. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we do know that defence is a full team uh, mm. thing. That's right. Defence is a full team word, thing. That as, would have been a better thing to say, wouldn't it? Like to say. On Friday, Sweden versus TBC. Now, we know a lot about Sweden, but tell me about TBC. I've not heard <laughs> about them before. Uh, yeah, I was going to make a joke about some country, but I can't think of anything to fit mm. the letters, sorry. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, Sweden, Sweden, uh, as you like to say, my favourite team. I think they're quite... The big country. Yeah, that's it. The big country. Sweden are one of my favourite teams because they're quite flexible tactically. So I've enjoyed, I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching them. They that is true. You won't shut up about Sweden. It's true. It looks like they're going to be facing someone out of Iceland, Belgium or Italy, which is quite fun. So those games are being played tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everyone's within a point of each other. So any one of those three teams could go could go through. So, so that's when this podcast be. is out, if people want to look it up, they will know. By yeah, then. they yeah. will know. Yeah, um, Fine. Okay, and then on Saturday, of course, is France versus the Netherlands, which feels like a real big one. Yeah, this is the exciting, yeah. I think the really exciting um, uh, quarterfinal. Um, France obviously um, are playing tonight, but they're already guaranteed to go through top of the group, so we know that, that this will be the, the, the quarterfinal that we played. Uh, France obviously lost Marie Antoinette Toto through injury, uh, which is a shame. She is their big star player. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the Netherlands have lost a few players through COVID and injury as well. Uh, but I still expect this one to be a, a really fun game. And again, I think Netherlands, maybe people expected them to be not quite so good this tournament, but they've uh, they've been pretty Im- impressive. I think this is the blockbuster quarterfinal. It, and Saturday night as well. Yeah. It's all right for fighting. Let me tell you two things to you. Oh, you're about to say I'm something. I'm going to ask you something. Yeah. Do you work out how hot the temperature will be like... Um, during the World Cup in Qatar, that is quite literally what I was about to talk about. Is that right? it, it, it's like twenty-five degrees. I think it's under under thirty in in December, so it'll be around there. I was going to say, I mean, there's a get the, the games this evening that are being played in in the UK. If uh, for listeners abroad who might not know, it's very hot here at the moment. We work in Celsius, but it is possible that the UK will have its hottest ever day on record ever and reach forty degrees. So I feel extremely for the players that uh, will be taking to the pitch this evening because that's far hotter than it was going to be anywhere including in Qatar right? <laughs> yeah it's it's just brutal isn't it I like, mean I would need a water break every 30 <laughs> seconds right? and that's if I'm attending to see in the audience yeah I mean for context that we have the AC on it's maximum possible uh, setting yeah. which is why I'm wearing a jumper sure yeah. Jules wearing shorts today. I'm wearing shorts. And I tell you, gang, it doesn't happen very often. I wore shorts you to Brighton wore, at the you weekend. You your trousers to play football that time we played football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's to protect my legs from bees. <laughs> <laughs> so so is this shorts, the shorts level is like hottest day since records began. That's what... That's what well, I'm wearing shorts. shorts today and yeah. that is today. There we go. Was you there know. no bees today? Um, I don't... Well, I think it's too hot for bees, isn't it? No, yeah. bees like it hot. Do they, I don't but think they like it them, this hot. You're meant to give them... Water, like booze. sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when you booze. tried to give uh, that bee some beer? No, when did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> do you, you remember that? Right? You <laughs> when don't was remember? that? Well, it was in the pub, which might explain why I don't remember it. But uh, there was a little bee. I moved away from the bee because of my bee fear. And yeah. you tried to give the bee some beer and... Drowned it. May have drowned the bee. <laughs> I did not drown No, I do remember that. I didn't drown I, the I bee. don't think you drowned it. I think yeah. the bee drowned itself in the beer. Well, it is delicious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, best of luck to all the bees out there. We really need you for uh, the ecosystem. Please... Really important piece. Please hang on. I think, you know what, I think if you live in a in an area with a garden, it's a thing nowadays to, to get yourself a hive. Have a hive and uh, contribute to the local ecology by keeping bees. You can do that, can't you? You can keep bees. You can keep You're bees. You're allowed to do, yeah, keep the bees as your own personal thing. Yeah. You just have nice flowers and they would help pollinate things. Very, very important bees. Sure. Not wasps, though. Not Pointless. Wasps. Get rid. Get rid of what they get rid of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, best of luck to the players who are playing this evening. Hopefully everyone survives it and doesn't get too hot. 
you know? Uh, there was a very interesting piece uh, on The Athletic uh, last week, uh, John, by Kiva, Kiva O'Neill, a, a normally Liverpool writer, but uh, writing a little bit about the Euros at the moment, about the goalkeeping standard. Because the goalkeeping standard in women's football is something which has been oft criticised in the past. It's the sort of thing... You go to the internet comments section, anyone talking about women's football, if a, a half-decent point is made, someone comes in and goes, what about the goalkeeping? Goalkeeping's been pretty good in the tournament so far. Yeah, and, uh, it's, and it's a great article, well worth having a look at. A really interesting interview with Rachel Finnis-Brown, who is a former goalkeeper who's been doing a lot of the comms mm-hmm. work for BBC. What I enjoyed about that interview is that she, uh, Rachel Finnis-Brown was talking about the fact that women's goalkeeping and men's goalkeeping are very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that women's goalkeeping is worse. It just means that you can solve problems in different ways. Sure. Um, so obviously the height difference between the average, I think the average in women's football is, uh, this tournament maybe is about five foot nine. Yeah. In the World Cup, the men's World Cup, there will be a much higher average for, for their goalkeepers. But talking about how actually that allows you to be able to be much better at footwork and quicker and, th- and yeah. things like that. And so you start seeing different things occurring and, and the sort of conditions within which you're working are, are very, very different. And mm-hmm. obviously, like as, as the game professionalizes, goalkeeping coaching improves and and the analysis improves etc so i think we're now at a point where in both the men's and the women's game we do we're we're looking for those marginal gains and so if you look at something like goalkeeping and start focusing on how you can Mm -hmm. improve those areas you can actually start seeing uh, some real improvements in in both formats of the game yeah okay well well, it's an article worth reading and let me tell you as a tall person being tall not that great all the time you know can't fit on the bus can't fit on planes Lots of volume for bees to attack. There's oh my god, there's so much surface area for the bees on the legs. Yeah, you could play basketball though. I couldn't because I think if I jumped, my knees would crumble. You know, mm. Robert Lewandowski. Speaking of crumbling knees or not, <laughs> has moved to uh, Barcelona, and I say crumbling knees. Because he is 33 years old, he's been given a four-year contract. I'll come back to that, because that's the question I'm going to ask. But let me tell you first, I read uh, Rafa Honigstein's article about this. I loved his description of him. Uh, you know, he said, of course, he'll miss his goals, 344 in 375 games. It's an extortionate number of... Extortionate? Yes. A huge number of goals, let me say. But he described him as a devoted self-optimizer who reached a world-class level through hard work and game intelligence rather than God-given talent. That's Robert Lewandowski right there. But as I said, uh, JJ, 33 years old, four-year contract. Now, he's not the only old player that's moved this summer, but a four-year contract for a 33-year-old, it always does give me the wibbles. Four years is a bit nuts because you can't guarantee he'll be able to play it at the money he'd be getting paid. Sure. Maybe Barcelona will find a way just to not pay him eventually. That's <laughs> well, I mean, also, if someone else can deal with it later. That seems to be the way that it works, right? In four years' time, there I could want be a different know. president. So someone yeah. else can deal with it, yeah. yeah. That's exactly the kind of issue. Until, of course, Super League comes along again and they just manage to get out of it. Cause well, just, they're all basically banking on that, aren't they? That's it's what possible doing. that that is that's the hope. What, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Let me ask you, though, um, does his specific game, does it really require the athleticism of youth or, or, or can he just do a lot with uh, being, a, being a clever guy? Not really. I think you can see it with Ronaldo. You can... Like he's he's really super fit. Uh, yeah. He keeps himself like uh, uh, Rafa was talking about in the piece. Top tip, tip, yeah. t- tip top, tip top. He keeps himself really fit. Um, works tip. really super hard to make sure that he can play at that level. Now, I think it's interesting in that article is talking about how he was always upset. So his dream was to play in Spain. His old agent's been on record talking to a few different places recently, saying that how Lewandowski always wanted to play for Real Madrid right. in Spain. He wanted to go to to Bayern and then go to Real a lot earlier. And so throughout his career, he's been focused on just scoring goals. It's like 
a total mercenary, doesn't really care about the team, doesn't matter what shirt he's wearing. He just wants to score goals so that he can get his big transfer eventually. Mm. And then apparently the last couple of seasons, Thomas Muller has said that it's as though he's given up on the transfer. He's accepted that it's maybe not happening and just enjoying where he is and has been more for the team. But as he's done that, he scored like, he scored 41 goals in one season. He broke the Gerd Muller record. 29 starts and one, uh, one sub-appearances mm. and scored 41. Crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. stupid. It is stupid. That's two years ago as well. So... I, th- I imagine he can play at that level. He doesn't uh, for a lot for a bit longer. Four years is difficult, but he can adjust. You don't have to run that much. Xavi does want his team to press high up the pitch. That's what they've been doing. Mm. But he can lead the press. He doesn't have to actually win the ball. He can show the ball one side, and the other guys behind him can push up and start doing all the actual winning of the ball back. He's got mm. to direct where it goes and tell other people when to start the press. That can be his job. But he scores so often. Does he just become? Does he instantly become? Oh, this is a bit of a redundant question, maybe. But does he instantly become the best player on that team? Uh, no, Pedri. <laughs> Pedri. Pedri genuinely is the best. He's one of the best in the world. I mean, Lewandowski, what, did he win, what's that FIFA best player award? It's two years in a row or something he won that, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't get the Ballon d'Or, didn't he? Because they probably should have done, yeah. That season was cancelled because of COVID. Which is a shame, but I mean, the awards don't really matter. He was just, he is one of the best strikers, if not the best striker in the world right now. Mm. Uh, So it's a sense, I mean, it's not a sensible buy, but it's a, if you could choose the best player in the world right now, you'd want Lewandowski to be your striker. Sure. And it just seemed it's odd that he's available, but the contract he would have wanted was the four years. So you'd maybe just accept that maybe you'll get definitely two elite years out of him. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll get third. It's not quite as, doesn't matter, it'll be all right, because they'll have other people coming through, or they'll buy more players for 200 million and then just decide not to pay them later. Sure. Uh, I think they only even really care about this next season. Like, if they get a good return of investment on him, they'll they'll justify the four years being like... You well, know, you've got to be at the top, right? Because yeah. when that Super League thing comes around again and they change it, whatever, they need to be considered the yeah. best team in the world so that they can... It's just Sam Wallace's point through. in the Telegraph this week was that it almost feels as though Barca are sort of staggering along until the European Super League happens. Mm. And then they can be like, look, we're a European Super League team. Now mm. give us all of your TV revenues and we'll, all of our problems will be solved. Well, there's, a, there's an important court case hearing as it relates to that, which I don't know anything about, but I know it's important for the future of the, the Super League or, or, or not. Maybe we can do some reading about that. Well, I can. Oh, you I can, can talk to you about John it. Yeah. So the, the Ooh, argument, the argument, good having John, isn't it? The argument that's being made is that the that UEFA have um, a monopoly um, on competitions, pan-European competitions, mm. and what's happening is that the, the group of clubs that are the European Super League teams are going to some European court. I can't remember exactly which European. Is that court at the was. moment? Are we just talking about yeah, Juventus, Barcelona, and Real Madrid? Yeah, I think because the so. others that like uh, not many of them are officially out, but they are. They're being very out. careful because yeah. because they didn't have the law on their side. But the idea of this court case is that if you can argue that UEFA are actually operating as a monopoly, then you can reverse that, and anyone can start their own pan-European league and so these three clubs will then say well we can now start a European Super League and we won't be held to account for it by right. by UEFA because there are various fairly strict punishments I know at least for the English clubs that were in the Premier League that if they were to try to do that again they would be all fined 25 million pounds each I think there were there, were talk, there was talk of 30 points deductions mm. which would have been enough for Man United to be relegated <laughs> last season <laughs> right so it's quite severe would this change that as well or is this just because that's a sort of Premier yeah. League ruling, is it? I, I don't, don't know. Understand. Yeah, I don't know what the yeah they, that would be a Premier League ruling. So right. I guess what these clubs would do then is say, fine, we're not going to play in those yeah. in those leagues, and that would solve Barca's problem because then they could say we don't need your salary cap yeah. limit anymore, so yeah. we can just do what we want. There's a very finite pie of 
TV revenues, right? And they're sp spread all the way across the various leagues that people are willing to watch. And the idea is, is that if you can start your own league with all of the best teams in, suddenly that pie stays the same size, but suddenly you get a massive chunk of it for those top teams. And that's the argument that they're going to be making is we're the teams that everyone wants to watch, therefore we should have all of the revenue. Why should we be yeah. giving Crew mm. Alexandra any of our... Like of the our Champions revenue? League is, I mean, this is the obvious thing to say, but the Super League's already basically happened, right? It's the same teams who are going to compete at the top end of the Champions League every year anyway. Mm. And as, I mean, most of the people who own clubs around the world, they're not from there. They are foreign investors who want to make more money on it. Um, lots of, I'm not saying that Todd Bowley wants to push Chelsea in the Super League or anything, but his thing with Chelsea is that he yeah. sees enormous potential for the sport to make far more money because yeah. the NFL makes far more money per club or whatever, you know, like in, when you compare it by per 90. So <laughs> the only <laughs> way I can think of to describe what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. But they make far more money, far more revenue from a smaller... Uh, I think it's per annum, as usually Per annum? I don't <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah, the JJ goes, it talks to HR or so goes to the bank <laughs> and says, can I find out how much money I make? P per 90. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me, sir. Uh, work for me. Yeah. But that's it. So they can work out new ways to make the Premier League especially make more money. So maybe they, mm. the Premier League might be the one that ruins it because they want they can stay shut and basically they're like the NBA. It's mm. they already got the cash. The Premier yeah. League's already got it made, yeah. and they have so much more revenue and so much more global appeal than like Real Madrid and Barcelona are huge clubs mm. on their own. No one cares about the Liga outside of that. Really, mm. people in Spain do a little bit. A bit. They ever support them in Germany. It's Bayern. It's just that. People in Spain care about La Liga a little. They bit. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting in for Scotland. The, uh, Rangers and Celtic. That's you know. Well, that's get it. rid. Get rid. Put them in the Super League. We can have a nice league. I'm waiting for the Premier League's own streaming service to eventually become yes. a thing in the future. Because we made this video with Nick Harris. I've talked about this a few times uh, a couple of years ago about what would it be like if if the Premier League had its own OTT, OTT. streaming service. And uh, at, with very conservative predictions, I would say, and also uh, some, some ambitious predictions about what, what it would cost uh, to, to keep going, Nick Harris predicts that the, every Premier League team could earn over a billion pounds a year <laughs> instead of, you know, 120 Well, Apple's just done million. the MLS streaming on their the app, haven't they? Maybe it's all testing here, there it's and everywhere. Amazon tested with some Premier League games before. Okay, 3, 2, 1. Which uh, streaming service would you prefer it to go to if it wasn't uh, one built by the Premier League themselves and it was a, a pre-existing one? Which one would you prefer it to go to? 1, 2, 3, go. Uh, I think Google. Google don't have a streaming YouTube. service, do they? Oh, YouTube. You heard of YouTube before? Have I heard of YouTube? You know this thing that you'd turned into you'd a... You'd want it to go <laughs> on the YouTubes. I think they'd do it... I don't know, they've got... They're the most likely could get the most money. And actually, Apple has huge amounts of cash reserves, so they could do it. They they did two years ago. That was that when everyone said that. Do they now? We just don't know anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have many tens of billions sitting in, just in cash. Maybe there's been a heist. Hmm? John, which one would you like it to go to? <laughs> what are the options? I don't know. I mean, BT Sport. BT Sport. Well, that's not really... The coverage is good. No, yeah, but that's a TV channel. I'm talking about an, I'm talking about a, a big Over digital provider. You know, HBO. Oh yeah, HBO yeah. would be good. Or or um, <laughs> they'd you make know. it all serious and it'd be really good. Yeah, that would be good. Get David Chase involved. Yeah, okay. Uh, what about the other one? Would be Disney or you know Miramax? I'm sure they've got one. <laughs> Having seen You're just what, naming you, film yeah. companies now. What Disney did to uh, Obi Wan? Um, have you heard of this? The Patterson cut of Obi Wan. This Who's guy is, Patterson? It's this guy, 
called something Patterson, but he's Nathan done a, Patterson. I don't know. It's not him. Not the Rangers right. uh, Everton player. Okay. It's this guy who's taken all the Obi Wan footage and done like what people do with the rest of the development and turned it into a better version. He's made a movie, right. so it's uh, it runs at about ninety minutes, hundred minutes right. of all yeah. the Obi Wan episodes. Get rid of the stupid chase scene and all that. I never watched the end of it. Do you not? No. It's actually the last two episodes are really good. Are they? Yeah, but the rest of it is garbage. Sure. But the movie's meant to be really good. I can't see it anywhere because it's been taken down. Right. So, but I would not like Disney. Sounds to great. Yeah, I don't want Disney to have the uh, the football because of what I've seen with that right. Star Wars. Give it to Google. Okay, fine. All right. I just want to say Charlotte de Catalara because I think it's nice to say, but also he's like, the streaming service. His <laughs> yeah, own he's personal the, he's streaming service. <laughs> but, no, he's a really good example of of, of a pl- of a player transfer where so AC Milan are in for him, but they can't really afford him sure. according to the rumours. But Leeds United who have narrowly avoided relegation last season, are sure. in for him as well. So it just shows you the difference between mm-hmm. the winner of the of Serie A last season is competing with a narrowly avoiding yeah. relegated That was my original point, right? Is that uh, all these super clubs, uh, they want to remain relevant and huge. And the only way to do that is really to com- keep competing at the top and they're not going to be able to yeah. soon. Yeah. Because sure. even like Nottingham Forest are going to have too much money yeah. well that's right if you visit theathletic.com forward slash tifo you can get a 30 day free trial to charlotte de Ketelara's streaming <laughs> service and you can find all sorts of belgian drama and comedy uh, on there plus all of the football uh, okay let's have a, a break and then when we come back we'll try to complete the rest of this enormous plan oh my god there's so much <laughs> looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yes, Delict by Munich. Now we're, we're cycling on through. We're at a faster pace. You know when you listen to a podcast at uh, two, two times speed? Don't do that with this one because we're going to move <laughs> quickly anyway and then it'll be confusing for you and you won't be able to understand what we're saying. And I already talked too quickly. And you already mm. talked too. Yeah, people yeah. can't do it for this one, can they? No. Yeah, unless they jostle between me and you. I'll try and slow down and then it'll be the same pace as you. Sure. There's a 20 seconds wasted, isn't it? Matthias de Ligt, John, has moved to Bayern Munich. Find fee, it's big, I wrote. And then you included worth more than 80 million euros per uh, Fabrizio Romano. Thank you, Fabrizio Romano. Whatever it was. Sputum. That was before we started recording. Uh, (laughs) Makes it sound like I'm saying that about Fabrizio Romano. I wasn't. I was calling you a sputum thing. Uh, Thank you, Fabrizio Romano. This is a good signing. Yeah? I mean, is it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think people may be a little bit low on Delict because obviously he, he has gone to Juventus and and it's not maybe not worked out as well as been learning the ropes from the big lads, isn't he? Yeah, but I think that since Allegri's come in, they're playing a style of football that really doesn't emphasise his upside, and so I think people are people are maybe a little bit more muted on this on this signing. I think once he gets to Bayern Munich and he's working with Julian Nagelsmann, he'll be mm. doing a lot of the stuff that actually made people stand up and stand up, sit up and watch him when he was playing at, at, at Ajax uh, in that original um, mm-hmm. Ten Hag team. He was brilliant in that team. Yeah. I saw him play live. I thought he was 
like superb. And we'll see more of that stuff. That was sort of more aggressive, proactive uh, defending. Also, really, really good ball carrying as well. We'll see more of that mm. at Bayern. And so I think people will start talking about him as being one of the best centre backs in the world as well. So him, exactly. and, him and Van Dijk as a centre back partnership is like yeah. perfect. Code stuff, it's amazing. It? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Look forward to seeing that. Jed Spence completing his move to Tottenham. Uh, that's a long-awaited one. We've covered it a bit before on, on the channel, I think, JJ. But just to, in short, why is it so suited to a Conte team? Um, it's really attacking. It's really good uh, forward who can also defend. So mm-hmm. he's just a really good wing-back for that Conte kind of system. I think he'd be all right going inside the pitch as well. Let's mm-hmm. Conte's wing-back sometimes do that. Was very, very good for Forrest last season. I watched a lot of Forrest uh, for a video I was going to do, which mm. I haven't done. Oh. But Jed Spence was this, one of the stars of that team. It's a it's a good move for Tottenham. It's a shame that Forrest couldn't keep him because he was he, their best player by far last season. Sure, sure. Okay, well, that's Jed Spence. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, injured again. I mean, you know, he suffered a muscle injury last week, JJ. It's not, I don't think it's a terrible injury and it's not going to keep him out forever. Um, but it is a reminder that he spent a fair amount of game time unavailable throughout his career. I mean, he's now been unavailable for 71 Liverpool games. This is according to Transfer Marked. Uh, since he arrived in, in 2017. And it is a shame because he's a, he's a super talented player. He's a really good player. He can play all around the pitch. Mm. I think uh, Jurgen Klopp seems more of a midfielder, but he's played as a forward for them as well. It's a real shame. It's like his body's just not working for him at all. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously a super fit elite athlete, yeah. but um, body keeps letting him down. Happens to a lot of players. Uh, real shame. But I was looking... Just over Oxley Chamberlain because he scored that goal against Brazil in like 20, I think it was 2013 yeah that's so long ago that's when he was like a huge bright prospect yeah. I know he's won trophies because he's been at Liverpool but I don't know if it would I wonder how he'd feel about his career going because he could have been well, a huge yeah. big star like, that's the thing I think he seemed like a player who, who could have been a kind of central part of a very very good team and also I the, where I see it would maybe uh, well for, for me I suppose as a, as a follower of the England team I think he could have been Really important to the England team, and I mean, he has been at, at periods over 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 his career, but just never had one that of those players though who um, yeah, he's often injured. You can look at his injury record on a what's that site transfer market. You can it's, tell you it's the, here. I mean, yeah. like that you can see how many injuries there are, and for the number of days. So at Liverpool so far, obviously he arrived in 2017. He he did, had a cruciate ligament rupture in 2018. He was out for nearly a year. He had a knee injury, which ruled him out a lot of uh, the season before last. Uh, I mean, the rest of them are all fairly small. But he's a very explosive that, player, though, so that's naturally yeah. going to have some like like tissue injuries, mm. things like hamstrings, stuff like that. It's, 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 that's just kind of normal. But he doesn't rely on pace up front, so he could get away with it. And he's a clever player as well, mm. but very dynamic and like to carry the ball and make things happen. He can kick with the it. ball so hard. So that goal against Brazil, he absolutely pings it mm. like on on the half volley. I think smashed it in the bottom corner. It was really yeah. good. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I know that a lot of pro clubs have like a red flag system with injuries and anything that's over, that keeps a player out for over 30 days is considered a red flag injury. If you go sure. through this list, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight red flag. And well, you're I mean, talking like usually three or four flags is, is a problem. This is Arsenal, an incredible The first six injuries he had at Arsenal, five of them were over 30 days. Yeah. And the one that wasn't was 24 days. Yeah, it's basically a red flag injury as well. Yeah. So Arsene Wenger clearly thought he was good. He's got quite a good eye for a young player. Sure. Spotted a few of them. Sure, he did, didn't he? Anyway. Also, because he can play so many positions, maybe one of those players who could never nail down exactly where he yeah. needed to play. And that might have... Yeah. People were surprised, though, when he moved to Liverpool, weren't they? Sure. Uh, I don't remember. I, I, I mean, remember it makes total sense with having a multi-positional yeah, player I mean, for your squad, right? And we, I guess the point was that at this point, people didn't really understand what a Liverpool, Liverpool midfielder yeah. did. Yeah. But like at the same time, I, I remember people being like, what? 
why is he why is why is Liverpool signing him? But yeah. sure. Okay. Well, there we go. All our best to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Speedy recovery, please, sir. Wayne Rooney has become the coach of DC United in America, the United States of. That's a pretty good American accent, isn't it? Now, listen, he's in the United States of America now. I assume he's there. Uh, He's made 48 appearances for that team between 2018 and 2020. He knows it well, scored 23 goals for the fans. Yes. And obviously, he liked it over there. My first question, really, John, was just, you know, is MLS a smart move for a Rooney? Because he's just done well at Derby. He probably could have got a job uh, in the championship or, you know, maybe you know, there's jobs available in the Premier League. But, like, certainly at some point, he was going to be, um, he was going to be a, uh, he was on a pathway. He was on a pathway. It, does this path, does this sort of natural upwards pathway take one via... The United States of America? Yeah, I mean, we've got a couple of coaches in the Premier League. I'm just going to carry on as normal. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> please, please do. I hope that everyone else uh, yeah, ignores that. But um, yeah, there's a couple of coaches in the Premier League right now who have come through MLS. So I don't think it's necessarily the end of the Jesse world. Jesse Marsh? Go on, talk about Jesse Marsh. Go on. Jesse Marsh is, uh, is the Leeds United manager. And um, uh-huh. uh, Jesse Marsh and the Sweden team. This guy, gone. Who's the other one? Uh, Patrick Vieira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as he well. started there though, in a way, didn't he? Or I mean, his first senior coach. Was it a City Group, and he went to New York City. Yeah. That was. Yeah. And Jesse Marsh started there too, but then Wayne Rooney is pretty much starting there, right? Well, Derby. no, because Derby he's only... just managed Derby. Yeah. So with the Derby thing, I think a lot of that is like man management stuff, isn't it? So. Is it? Um, yeah, you've got to motivate a team where everything's going wrong. And I think the background, the context again, Joe, is important. Oh, here we um, go. But there's obviously been a lot going on in the, the respective Rooney's lives recently, right? So he's had the whole Derby County thing, which was not only like horrible on field, but it was also horrible off field yeah. and was messed around by a lot of potential owners, etc. And then yeah. Colleen Rooney, his wife, obviously had that court case with... Rebecca Vardy yeah, uh, and I think she took that quite badly from from some of the reports as well so it seems to me as though you they're would. using this as a good excuse to go and carry on a managerial career somewhere that's a lot nicer than where they've been recently I, I would do that yeah I'd go if I could be a coach of, of MLS quality and someone in MLS in America offered me a job I'd say is there a pool in the garden of my house and how big are the milkshakes? Yeah, and they would say, <laughs> "Yes, there's a pool. Milkshakes are very big." Would you go big. in the pool? Would I go in the pool? Yeah, yeah, I'd go in the pool. Would you? Best way of avoiding yeah. bees, isn't it? Going in yeah, the pool. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Bees can't no, get you no in the bees water. Bees in the pool, is there, JJ? Why do you look so confused? I just feel like you wouldn't go in. I feel like you'd find a smaller, darker room in the house where there's oh, a pool yeah, outside. The pool is inside in, <laughs> in the dark. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'd go in the outside pool. I mean, I've never seen you go in the pool. Would you go in a pool? Yeah, of course I would. Well, why would I, of course, not go in a pool? Because you, you, I don't know, pools are not for you. What? <laughs> you like movies. <laughs> to be fair, to um, to Italy for un- Uncle Damien's 50th uh, birthday, many moons ago, Uncle Damien's an old, old man now, and uh, Uncle Damien's birthday, 50th in Italy, lovely place. He uh, rented this uh, villa, had the largest private pool in, in the region of Italy. I did go in it a couple of times, but there was also a uh, cinema room inside. <laughs> and I did spend most of my time in there. You, you seem quite they had, concerned. They had Shea parts one and two, and I watched those twice. You seem quite concerned about the size of the pool, but surely there's, there's sort of a, a limit beyond which it doesn't really matter how big the pool is. No, no, listen, man. Look at the size. Have you seen the size of me? 
The largest pool right, in Italy okay, but... is just a normal pool to a guy like me. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I can like a length is just me touching both ends of the pool at once. Are you, you know? swimming lengths in this pool? I'm swinging swimming lengths all over this pool. Yeah, <laughs> and widths just as back well, and yeah. forth. Yeah, and widths. Yeah, I'm mainly going in circles. I don't know what a length is. That's the end of that bit. Uh, Kaladu Koulibaly has also gone, we've got so much left, has gone to Chelsea, which is quite fun because uh, we predicted that in the Sensible Transfer. We didn't predict it was going to happen. We suggested it in our Sensible Transfers video about uh, Chelsea, uh, uh, John. Uh, 40 million euros they have paid uh, Napoli. Um, and incidentally, uh, this is a separate bit. I'll tell you about that later. Can, tell me about uh, Kaladu Koulibaly. Presumably in the middle of the, the three. Yeah, I think does that's he, the Does he just place Thiago Silva or...? Yeah, I think that you can play him fairly flexibly. Like he's played oh, on the yeah. left side of a back two um, most recently, right for Napoli. Sure. Um, so you could play him on the left. You could probably play him on the right. He's right-footed. Does he have the mobility? Does he have that dog in him? Yeah. Is what you're <laughs> I don't think you need both of your wide centre backs to be as progressive as someone like Antonio Rudiger was. Uh -huh. um, so as long as they can match him up on someone with the, on the other side, but uh, he's a, obviously an excellent passer he's really press resistant as well mm -hmm. yeah he's not going to be doing longer busting runs um up and down like you know, as we said rudiger can do but i, I think mm. the, he just gives you that flexibility you can you've got then a, a sort of stable of center backs where you can just about work out who to play in a back three at any one time mm -hmm. okay fine um incidentally the athletic simon johnson has also reported that young chelsea center back levi colwell uh, who was on loan at Huddersfield last season, will seek to leave Chelsea if the club sign more defenders, which does look quite likely because uh, Tuchel is also reportedly interested in Kimpembe and uh, Jules Kunde as well. Yeah, I I, I think this is silly. I, I, there's been a few centre-backs now who've left Chelsea and gone on to be successful elsewhere. So Fikayo Tomori obviously won the the league with, with Milan last season. Mm -hmm. And we've seen Mark Gohi as well go off to Crystal Palace. I don't really get what's in it for, for Chelsea to be constantly selling off these really high-potential centre-backs, allowing them to develop elsewhere and money. then presumably spend a lot of money bringing them back in. But, well, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of people in the industry very, very high on Levi Colwell. Okay. Um, and... I guess I guess they're playing Trevor Chalobah, aren't they, at the moment? So maybe yeah, they are. maybe there's a, a they maybe they have a, a limit for how many they're going to bring through. Sure. But Colwell seems to be really really highly rated amongst a lot of people in the industry. I suppose the the issue there is, you, can you develop two youngsters in a back three without one of them wanting to go off and and and, and actually develop their game somewhere else? So also, have you seen all these other players go to? Like, um, like Tamori, all these sorts of players just go somewhere else for like, abroad or whatever, play for a massive club, get the lovely 3, lifestyle. Minutes as well, it's only a thing that like English people especially realise they can they don't have to stay in the Premier League; they can go elsewhere and get a career. Otherwise, you end up playing mm. for a Sunday League team within about seven years because sure. you didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. There's loads of examples of players that I'd totally forgotten about who are still playing in like, the Netherlands or other places that are abroad. Yeah. I can think of an example. The Netherlands me. and other places. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the British Airways slogan, isn't it? Well, <laughs> <it's> holiday <laughs> so like players that um, were really highly tipped for ages. There was a guy at Spurs, I can't remember his name, he was really highly tipped and he went abroad. No, Gareth Marcus, Bale. Marcus Gareth Bale. Yeah, Marcus Edwards, oh. yeah. There's a few like players who just go <laughs> away and then they get actual... Um, maybe like they were highly talented and weren't going to make it that like proper top league in a level anyway, but rather than spending your time in lower league of England, you get to play at top level and... Yeah. I, 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 get, I get that the, it's hard to do all this, but I do think that Levi Colwell like, ha, has proven to be at the level that is needed to play in the Premier League, so it sort of feels mm -hmm. a bit I, weird. I totally to agree. I, saw, I, I watched a lot in, um, of Huddersfield for a thing as well, and uh, I thought he was 
They looks look properly good. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's going to be good, and so it's it's sort of I can get it with other players where you think, oh, you know, are they going to are they ever are they going to hit the ceiling or whatever? Mm. But with him, it just seems like a I don't know. It seems like okay. a no brainer for me. But well, thanks for that very serious and meaningful contribution, JJ. <laughs> what what did you have to say about uh, the Kula Valley situation? Nothing. Okay, because you've written something down here on the plan. I just thought I'd give you the opportunity to share what you've written down. But you know, when you ask someone to like sing the song that you've done, it's not funny straight away. It was funny when. We started singing Kula Bali, Kula Bali, hey, 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 center back. Yeah. But I'll not do it in tune, you see, because I'm deliberately not wanting to do it now. Very aware of where I am right now. Newcastle and Hugo Ekatike, JJ, he was a target. He has moved to PSG last week on a season on loan uh, with an option uh, to buy of £25.5 million, which was less, actually, than the fee that Newcastle offered uh, for him. Um, it was apparently the, the player's choice to move to PSG. Eddie Howe, of course, used this as an opportunity to show the calibre of player that they're, they're going after and also the size of the clubs that they are competing with, which is, you know, it's understandable. Newcastle are going to miss out on these players from, from time to time as they claim the echelons of the transfer market. Yeah. Um, but a uh, question would be with, 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 with Callum Wilson and Chris Wood, currently the only recognised strikers at Newcastle, they probably need to get another one, don't they? They also really want Alexander Isak from Real Sociedad. Yes, he's an expensive lad. Uh, he's actually who I signed for Newcastle and my football manager saved and he did very well so I revised doing that Right, but it's super expensive they have to watch the money they spend because they don't have as much as you think they do because of various financial regulatory things right to do FFP FFP so, yes that's the one Premier League short term cost control yeah. wage control costs there, are, there will be forwards available. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like the, all the big famous wonder kids have sort of started moving. Like Adeyemi's gone somewhere else and all these sort of lads you'd normally think could be potential wonder kids. Amanda Broja is, uh, is Bro Broja, Broja. Sorry, is listed. Yeah, be okay. He doesn't score that many. He's a good player. Maybe be a decent signing. Did okay for Southampton last season. Might be an option. I think it's interesting that uh, PSG may be pivoting from their we're signing only global superstars strategy to like France first. Trying under Christophe Galtier. Yes, so they're yeah. bringing in, looking at Luis, sending players. Luis Campos, I think, is probably behind that as well there. Right. He's not technically a football director, but he's their football consultant, I think he's called. Sure. I bet it's to do with building the culture, right, of the club, because it's a lax one now. So rather than being expensive and... Yeah. They're done with bling-bling, bling, according, uh, according to Nassel Khalifi, the, the chairman. No more bling-bling. Well, not no more, but, you know, like they've, they've, they're, they're, they've indicated that they are moving on from that era. Yeah. Interesting, though, that PSG do have Arno Calamwendo, who I think a lot of teams are looking at at the moment. I know Leeds have, have been bidding on him, um, but he's a great guy. He's at PSG at the moment, so it, it seems weird that they're bringing Ekatiki in, but yeah. what do I know? Okay, well, anyway. Your good number is on the old stats, like FRF. He looks like a decent player. Sure. I've watched him a little bit as well. He's good. Get involved with this for a second. Boom, dum, dum, Doing all the tax investigations. Yeah. Tax now investigations. Exactly. The writing's uh, on the wall. The writing is on the wall for the tax investigations. Cooler Bali. <laughs> and specifically, specifically, it's on the wall of the. Uh, just move that microphone away from you there, JJ. Like a, a child. Uh, specifically, it's on the wall of the toilets in HMRC. Uh, it's not on the wall there, as far as I'm aware. But uh, it was reported last week that HMRC, which is uh, Her Majesty's, Majesty's Revenue and Customs, yes, yes, 
are investigating 329 footballers. Another one of those places that when the Queen leaves us, yeah, it's going to be changed, isn't it? It's going to be His Majesty's revenues and customs. Oh, but they get to keep the letters the same. Yeah. Yes. When she leaves us to go back to our home planet. <laughs> <laughs> I was being diplomatic there. Sure. Just in case my mom's listening to this yeah. podcast. <laughs> Your mum who believes that the Queen is real. <laughs> well, we move from John's mum onto the 329 footballers, 31 clubs, 91 agents being investigated for tax avoidance. Tax avoidance there. There is a special team of fraud investigators. <laughs> a crack team, I the think. The crack team, the top <laughs> HBO show out there. Special fraud investigation. Working alongside the FA's Football Compliance Project, which is another thing which sounds... Uh, you know, in, in The Loop, that film In The Loop, mm -hmm. uh, which is the kind of the, the film version of uh, the thick of it. Uh, and in America, they're trying to find out which one the war committee is. But they have this joke where they name the war committee the most boring thing possible so that no one finds it, even though it should be publicly attendable. That's what the FA's football compliance project sounds like. Sounds like a cover for a nuclear program, doesn't it? Uh, but anyway, the investigations are focusing on two specific areas, John. If anyone can remember the beginning <laughs> of that sentence to the end with all of the, the, the tangents, then congratulations. And now listen to John McKenzie. There's two areas where tax avoidance is potentially happening. Mm. Uh, the first one is in the area of image rights. So a lot of footballers oh. like to offshore their image right payments through companies that are all around Is that the what world. the um, lads in Spain were doing? Remember? Potentially. Yeah. The lads in Spain, you're going to have to give me maybe a little well, bit Well, like Lionel like Messi's got, he was charged for something. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of these guys, if you have a lot of image right, obviously Messi does have have a lot of image right payments coming in, then you can you can sort of set up your own company, send all the payments through there, and then clubs can start paying you image right mm. stuff and and sort of maxing your uh, revenue through there. So you're almost loopholing to avoid paying taxes there. Obviously, you ju you do still pay taxes on them. You just pay a different rate of taxes right, yeah. because you're not being taxed as a, as an employee. Uh, it's worth pointing out that Tifo does have an image rights video explainer. That uh, whilst I think it is maybe the most necessary video explainer in football, nobody watched it. It is available for you to find on YouTube. Mm. Uh, do go and watch that so you can improve your understanding. But the second one of these is also interesting, John. Yeah, I think so. So um, often people talk about player players agent commissions being paid by clubs. So yeah. people will say at the end of each year, oh, Liverpool have paid three billion pounds in agents' fees, sure. uh, etc. The issue is that no one really understands that when clubs pay agents fees for players they're mm. actually paying them on behalf of those players and so they're considered I, I think the phrasing is a benefit in kind or something like yeah. that which means that they're the player is eligible to pay tax on those things quite annoying that isn't it yeah i mean if it was if you were a player and your agent got five million euro agent and then, you, fee, and then you have to pay tax on it <laughs> yeah and i think a lot what of players i think a lot of players get actually like broadsided by this because they're not yeah. expecting like a huge tax bill to come in at the end of the, sure. the end of the season so that's something that is going to be sorted out as well and i i think what's going to end up happening is that there's going to be some kind of discussion of whether or not agents should be getting the amount of commission that they're getting because because sure. obviously that generates a lot of chatter because they make lots of money and they really do send players wherever they want based on the highest commission and yeah. it's probably not in the players or the club's best or the game's best interests indeed indeed well there we go jonathan mckenzie thank you very much end credits rolling there on the tax investigation <laughs> but we'll come back and cover that as more happens and uh, we'll update you on the uh the uh the moves and shakes of that special fraud tax investigation team what was the bit at the start of the a team that they said 
Oh, yeah. What was it? Do you remember the line? Uh, in 1970 something, the US started a crack team of somethings. Special fraud tax investigators. <laughs> to look at football compliance projects. Yeah. And they were called the A team. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Is that the A team? Copyright. 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 Strike mark. Strike mark. Being chip video being removed from YouTube. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's the end, isn't it? I think. Thank you. End? That's the end. Happy? Yeah, there's Done. some other stuff that might happen this week, but we don't know. It's well, we'll look out for that other stuff. John McKenzie, the dog. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. And of course, JJ Bull the Bullard. Yes. Yes, indeed. Thanks earlier to Adam Crafton, who I really hope is on this episode because <laughs> I haven't done that bit yet. So maybe he's not. And producer Jamie. Thanks, uh, Mr. Jamie over there. Yes, there he is with his backwards cap on in the dark. And uh, do you know whose name I found out? Who? Sean's name. Sean is the audio producer who I've been thanking Adonis for weeks. Yeah. Turns out nobody really knew, but Sean's been editing it. Sean Thorne is his Sean name, Thorne. apparently. Sean, apparently his name is Sean Thorne. So Sean Thorne. He's done a great job. Thank you for editing the audio version of this podcast for so long and doing it without a direct thanks. We'll make sure to thank you now, Sean Thorne, forever. Although... I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, thanks. <laughs> Just secretly revealed that you're being fired. <laughs> no, no, no. We're no, actually no. backloading your wages. That's um, right. We, yes. Yeah, if you take a 50% pay cut, please, Sean Thorne, and then next year we'll pay you more money. Yeah. yeah. And we definitely won't we definitely fire you. Will. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Sean Thorne. Um, fine. Goodbye, everyone. Take care. Tara now. Alfida Sain Tuse. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.